the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Good is the enemy of best, and Jesus is best. And sometimes we settle for less than best because we think, well, it's good, yeah, but it's not best. And Jesus is infinitely better, infinitely superior, infinitely greater than anyone or anything. And so the takeaway from the book of Hebrews should be don't settle for anything less. Always pursue that which is best, and the one that is best is Jesus. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. Do you sometimes find yourself settling for less than God's best for your life? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that good is the enemy of best. Just because something is good doesn't mean it is what is best for you. Pastor Gary encourages you to always seek after and pursue that which is best. The way you can do this is to pursue after Jesus. Jesus is the one who is best and who will lead you towards what is best within your life. Draw ever nearer to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. We are starting a new book study together, the book of Hebrews. So obviously God loves coffee because Hebrews. All right, that's the joke for the night. So a little background on the book of Hebrews before we actually jump into chapter 1 together this evening. The date of the book is probably sometime before 70 AD because there are references to the sacrifices which implies that the temple is still standing. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by Emperor Titus Vespasian in the year 70 AD. It has never been rebuilt, so the the temple ground there in Jerusalem still is without a Jewish temple. And the fact that the writer of Hebrews refers often to sacrifices, it is an indication that the temple is still standing. So the date of this letter has to be before 70 AD at some point. The writer is unknown. We don't have any introduction, any salutation by any particular writer. And so we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, a lot of Bible scholars believe Paul did, but we just have no way of knowing that. There's some speculation that maybe Apollos wrote it, maybe Barnabas wrote it. 
We really don't know, and to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter. Because if you really believe that all of the Bible is inspired by God, then whatever human vessel he chose to inspire through is, is secondary to, to the fact that God is really the ultimate author of his word. But we really don't know. Just traditionally, a lot of people think Paul, but um, there's great debate about it. So forgive me if I might by accident in the course of teaching through Hebrews say, you know, in verse so-and-so, Paul says, uh, you know, I'll try to catch myself because we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. The recipients of this letter are, as the title implies, Hebrews, but these are Christians. These are Hebrew Christians. In other words, these are Jewish believers. Today, we would call them Messianic Jews. And so that's the audience. That's the target audience here. These are Hebrew Christians or Jewish believers, but this, this is good for all of us. But that happens to be the target audience. And the purpose of this letter, as you see there on the screen, is to exhort and encourage believers in general, but in particular the recipients of this letter, to remain diligent in their faith and to not become spiritually lazy or legalistic. And so the kind of the theme uh, verses related to this purpose are found in chapter 6, uh, verses 11 and 12. This is what it says. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So, so that's the general theme here. You know, don't get spiritually lazy, which is you know, the tendency for all of us kind of get in a rut, you kind of just get used to things and and you're going through the motions and it's easy to become sometimes spiritually lazy or in particular to fall into legalism. Now, the reason why that's an important thing to note is because the audience, the main recipients being Hebrew Christians or Jewish believers, they had a tendency to fall back into legalism because they grew up with tradition, they grew up with history, and they grew up with a certain way of doing things. You know, it, it, it completely rocked their world when Jesus dies on a cross, and then for the first time, the Jews have to begin to realize and transition from law to grace, sacrifices to the sacrifice, multiple lambs to the lamb, and all of this is very foreign to, to Jewish people. So you have to bear in mind that, you know, they're now being told hey, all of these things pointed to Christ, but these things are no longer the basis for your religious activities because Jesus now is about relationship. And so it was very easy for them to just kind of fall back into religious tradition instead of a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus has fulfilled all of these things. And, and for them to transition out of that is very difficult. Some of you have come out of you know, various traditions yourself, perhaps. If you, if, if, those of you who are, you know, church is foreign to you, and so you're here and you have no kind of church background, then you have, you're approaching this from one perspective. But for, for those of you who have church backgrounds, maybe your tradition, you know, uh, taught you differently, and you're having to kind of relearn things. And that's, that's why this letter is addressed to these Hebrew Christians, because they're having to relearn things. You know, they, they thought it was all about getting righteous through sacrifice. It was, it was getting righteous through works. It was, you know, trying to get on God's good, good side. And, and then the reality is Jesus Christ dies on the cross, 
It's not about having to perform, having to do good things. I mean, we want to do good things in response to, but it's all about Jesus dying on a cross, free gift of salvation, and we're saved through faith, not of works. So, you know, all of that is difficult for, for people who have up to this point approached God through a religious system. And now they're being told it's no longer the system, it's the Savior. And so to transition out of that is difficult. And so in particular, the exhortation here is you know, stay diligent, don't get spiritually lazy, and don't fall into legalism. Now, just to show you how many different times throughout the book of Hebrews that the writer exhorts the recipients, I'm going to put a list up here on the screen for you of all these many different exhortations, just a sampling found throughout the book of Hebrews, Okay. So in chapter 2, 1, pay more careful attention. Also, do not drift away. Chapter 3, 6, hold on to courage and hope. 3, 12, do not turn away from the living God. 4, 14, hold firmly to the faith we profess. 6, 1, go on to maturity. 10, 35, do not throw away your confidence. 10, 39, do not shrink back. 12, 1, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. You get the idea that all through the book of Hebrews, there's just one exhortation after another to address this tendency we have to just get spiritually lazy. So strong language, strong exhortation here to just continue to encourage us in our faith and in our walk with the Lord. Now, some key words, I didn't expect you to write all that down, so for you note-takers, you're furious, like, ah, don't go on the next, it's okay, you can go back, look on the teaching archive on our website, and pause me, but I'm going to move on. Key words to understanding Hebrews, and this is important, words like better, that word used 11 times in the book of Hebrews, superior, that word is used four times in the book of Hebrews, greater, that word is used seven times in the book of Hebrews. And the writer here is establishing the fact that all these things point to Jesus, that Jesus is better, Jesus is superior, Jesus is greater than. The, the writer here of Hebrews is going to constantly be comparing Jesus to people and things that are inferior to warn us that we should never settle for anything less or to go back to what we thought was good. You know, good is the enemy of best. Good is the enemy of best. And Jesus is best. And sometimes we settle for less than best because we think, well, it's good, yeah, but it's not best. And Jesus is infinitely better, infinitely superior, infinitely greater than anyone or anything and so the takeaway from the book of Hebrews should be don't settle for anything less. Always pursue that which is best, and the one that is best is Jesus. Again, you have to understand for Jewish believers, there was always this pull from the past. There, there was this emotional, his, historical, and traditional pull to fall back into a religious system rather than a relationship with Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews here is going to say throughout this letter, Jesus is better than Jesus is better than. And, and I'll just highlight the list in advance so you can see where we're going. Uh, spoiler alert, but I just want to make sure everybody understands. These are the things that the writer of Hebrews is going to be addressing throughout the letter. He's going to be saying Jesus is better than the prophets. We'll talk about that one in chapter 1 tonight. He's, he's going to say Jesus is better than the angels. 
He mentions that. We're going to mention that also in chapter 1 and into chapter 2. He says Jesus is better than Moses, which is, that's, that's startling to the Jews, but he is. That's chapter 3. Jesus is better than Joshua. That's chapter 4. Jesus is better than the high priest, the function of the high priest in the temple. Jesus is better than any earthly high priest. That's chapters 5 through 9. Also in chapter 9, he talks about how Jesus is better than the tabernacle. You know, they put a lot of pride in these things. The Jewish people did. They, put, they would put pride in Moses, and, and they would put pride in, in the fact that there's a high priest interceding between them and God. They would put pride in, in the temple, or the tabernacle. Okay, all these things that they took pride in, the writer of Hebrews is going to dismantle and say, well, Jesus is better than all this, including, in chapter 10, he's better than the law and the sacrifices. And then in the last few chapters that remain, uh, 11 through 13, the writer of Hebrews is going to just make some uh, final exhortations and some encouragements in the last couple of chapters. But, but this is where he's going. Now, when the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is better than all these things, he doesn't mean that these things are bad. He's not saying the prophets are bad. He's not saying angels are bad. Moses is bad. Joshua is bad. You know, so don't think better than in the sense that you know, these other things that he's comparing Jesus to are somehow bad. These things are good. He's just saying Jesus is much better than these good things. You know, it's kind of like, you know, vanilla. Vanilla ice cream is good, but Chunky Monkey is better. Ah. Have, you ever, have you ever had Ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey? You know what I'm talking about. It slays me every time. But anyway, but that's the kind of thing he's saying. He's, he's like, it's, it's, not that, it's not that these other things are, are bad. These things are good, but Jesus is better. And these good things are not the source of your salvation because Jesus is far superior to all these good things. And so he starts here in chapter 1 by saying that Jesus is better than the prophets. So if you have your Bibles open now after that introduction to chapter 1, You can see with me in verse 1, he says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So there's a lot packed into just those first two verses. So let's pause there for a moment. And again, he begins here by comparing Jesus better than the prophets. He said, listen, and and again, he he, he writes to Jewish people who understand their own history. He goes, the prophets, they're good. God used the prophets. Clearly, he spoke through the prophets at various times, in various ways, at, at different times and places. In fact, Peter, the apostle Peter would write in his second epistle, 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, He says, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so, you know, Peter underscores the fact, and the writer of Hebrews is not taking anything away from the fact, that prophets heard from God and spoke the Word of God. They heard a message from God and delivered that message. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, while the prophets gave a message, Jesus is the message. And so that when he shows up on the world scene, he speaks in a way that is more profound than the prophets because the prophets were speaking the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. 
I mean, this is John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that Jesus is superior to the prophets because he is the personification of the Word of God. And, and, and thus, he's greater than the prophets. And Jesus even said in John twelve forty nine, he says, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I marvel at that verse there in John 12, 49, because it's, it's such a clear indication how tuned into the Father Jesus always was. He didn't say a single thing that the Father didn't tell him to say, and he didn't even, he was careful to say it in the certain way that the Father told him to say it. He said, I, he said, I don't say except what the Father tells me to say and how to say it. So when you, when, you, when you think about how the prophets were inspired by God, well, great, they clearly were, and they spoke forth the Word of God. But Jesus comes onto the world scene, and He is the Word of God, and so thus He is superior to the prophets. And what then the writer of Hebrews begins to do is he begins to, through this whole first chapter, talk about how Jesus is greater, and he defines the greatness and, and the superiority of Jesus in eight different ways. And the first way that we see here, uh, right in verse 2, as, as we just already read it, is, is that Jesus is creator. So he's going he's gonna to now make the case for why Jesus is greater than the prophets and why Jesus is greater than the angels, just in chapter 1. And he starts with telling us, of course, that, that he is the creator. Because, again, in verse 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Okay, now, for those who don't understand, there's one God, but he reveals himself in three persons, and we see it throughout Scripture. So there's God the Father, there's God the Son, that's Jesus, and there's God the Holy Spirit. One God reveals himself in three different forms or persons. And it's not a, he doesn't have a split personality. Every part of the Godhead, every part of the Trinity is co-equal, co-eternal, and has coexisted eternally with God and is God. But what the Bible tells us is, is that the second person of that Godhead, Jesus, was entrusted with and was the one responsible for creation of the universe. That Jesus, in fact, is the one who made the universe. That's what the writer of Hebrews says there in verse 2. And by the way, this is what Paul says in Colossians 1, verses, uh, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read to you. Colossians 1, 15 to 17, which says that he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and firstborn over all creation. For by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. By the way, keep that phrase in, in mind too because the writer of Hebrews is going to mention that as well. But, but Jesus is creator, that part of the Godhead entrusted with the wonderful privilege of creating everything. Jesus is creator. So that's why he's a little bit more superior than the prophets because he's not just the word of God revealed, he is also creator. And in verse 3, go on with me now, Hebrews 1, 3, the Son that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
And so now what we read here is that Jesus is also divine, because when it mentions that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, though the New Testament is written in Greek, the Jewish equivalent of God's glory is Shekinah. And Shekinah literally translates the divine presence. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is actually divine. He's the divine presence of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. He shines forth the glory of God, and he is the exact representation of his being. Now, interesting word in the Greek here. The exact representation is one word in the Greek, and it's character. And it is spelled the same way as our English word character, except in the Greek, it uses a K instead of a C before the T-E-R. Character in Greek, our English version now is character, tells us something, doesn't it? Because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Your character, my character, is the real you. And the character, the character, is revealed of God, the real presence of who God is, through Jesus, the Son. That's the stamp or impress, the exact representation, meaning the, the, the stamp or the, Im, the impress of an image upon another object. It, it is, for example, you know, try to think of it like this. If you're, if you're walking barefoot on the beach, the imprint that your feet make in the sand, that impression is the exact representation of your foot. And so in a similar way, that's how that word is used here, that Jesus is that exact representation of the Father. He becomes the visible manifestation of the divine presence of God. And so he's creator, he is divine, and also in verse, and then it it talks about at the end of verse 2 there, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. Now that's also what, again, what Paul wrote in Colossians 1 verse 17, where he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You know, it's interesting, scientists are a little stumped. The, the nucleus of an atom contains protons and neutrons. Now, neutrons have no charge, but protons have a positive charge. And if you've ever done a little classroom experiment or a little thing at home with magnets, you know that two positive charged magnets repel. And why is it that an atom does not naturally fall apart, why is it that it is held together? Because the nucleus of an atom has positively charged protons and neutral neutrons, and scientists can't explain why is it that the nucleus of an atom is held together. So they come up with this term, you've heard it, atomic glue. It's atomic glue. We don't know what to call it, so we're just going to call it atomic glue. Hey, I have a new name for it. It's Jesus. That's what it is. Jesus is even holding the atomic matter of the earth together because he is the one who sustains all things, and he is the one who holds all things together by his powerful word. Now, one day, it's all going to explode. He's going to say, okay, enough is enough. You know, scientists have it a little backwards. The Big Bang is at the end, not at the beginning. And it's all going to explode. There's a new heaven and a new earth. That's for another Bible study. But after he provided purifications for sins, look at verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So that whole phrase there about he provided purification for sins means that he's our redeemer. That's how he's superior. He's our redeemer. He's the one that paid the ransom for us by his blood on a cross. 
provided for us purification for our sins. He, he redeemed us. He's our redeemer. And then he sat down, notice that, at the right hand of the majesty in heaven because the work of Christ was complete in the sense of his redemption for mankind. And so the posture of sitting down shows that his work is finished. The book of Hebrews challenges all believers of Jesus to continue to embrace him as the only hope of salvation. Too often we can find ourselves trying to keep up our faith by adding traditions back in. No one is saved because of Jesus and something else. It's only Jesus. There's still nothing you or anyone else can do to ensure forgiveness of sin. Jesus took care of it once and for all. And through faith in that fact, you can begin to grow and flourish in God's plan for you, falling more in love with your Savior every day. We're honored you spent time with us here today studying the book of Hebrews on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to more editions of Pastor Gary Hamrick's teachings in Hebrews, you can do so by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or if you're someone frequently on the go, download our mobile app to take these messages along for the ride. What a great way to keep God's Word close at hand, no matter where this life takes you. We'd love to meet you too. So if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary will lead us in another study of the Bible, and we always include time for worship and fellowship. You'll find service times, directions, and all the additional information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know